Welcome to the Where Money Meets Soul podcast. I'm Jennifer Griffith. And I'm Natasha Gaines. As two busy women juggling high profile jobs, family, friends, bills, and everything else life throws our way, we know what it's like to feel stressed out and overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. And from personal experience, we also know what it's like to pull ourselves out of that place by using the right skills and tools to get our lives into alignment. Absolutely, we're here to share those same tools with you so that you can also turn your desires into reality. If you're interested in learning more about money and abundance, how to create a better work-life balance, and how to pursue your passions without sacrificing your dreams, then we invite you to join us each week to gain powerful tools to help you succeed in business and life. When money meets soul, magic will happen. Hey listeners, today we're changing things up a bit and I'm hosting this podcast without my business bestie and partner in crime, Tasha, but have no fear. I'm joined by an amazing guest, Melissa Schwartz, who is sharing her wisdom about the qualities that highly sensitive people bring to business and entrepreneurship. Melissa was born an intense, sensitive, empathic power seeker. Her intuitive ability to decode misbehavior and her passion for giving a voice to the legitimate needs of children naturally evolved into becoming the co-creator of Leading Edge Parenting. She's an internationally acclaimed leader in the field of highly sensitive children. She's the co-founder of Leading Edge Parenting, co-author of Authentic Parenting Power, and the author of the forthcoming Under the Hood, A Manual to Understand the Inner Workings of Children. Melissa, you're a total powerhouse, and I'm so excited to have you here. Welcome, and thank you for joining me. Hey, thanks, Jennifer. I'm so glad to be here with you today. It's such an honor, and I'm sorry Tasha couldn't be here, but we're going to have fun anyway. So can you just, I know I, I just read a little bio on you, but can you tell us more about you and how you got to this point in your life and helping others? Yeah. So, you know, in the beginning of my bio, when you talked about me being this power seeker, that was true from the get-go. I have always been had my on my own path, had a clear vision of what it is that I wanted to do, and nothing would ever really stop me. So as a child, I think I was often described as stubborn. I was probably frustrating for those around me. And I often tell the parents that I work with that when you have a child who's incredibly persistent, which is actually a natural way that they're born into life and you're not going to tame it out of them no matter how hard you try, that it actually turns into a leadership and an entrepreneurial quality down the road. Mm -hmm. So I have always known that I was destined to be my own boss. In fact, when I was a little kid and people asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, I would say the boss. That was, you know, I, <laughs> I, I didn't know it. what I wanted to be the boss of, but I wanted to be the boss. Right. And so um, this innate drive to be an entrepreneur and self-employed was always sort of there. And um, I actually studied uh, photography, photojournalism and Tibetan studies in college. I traveled around the world. I had a, a thriving photo business for most of my 20s. And somewhere in my late 20s, my parents, who were both educators in New York, retired and moved to California. And my mom had always had a desire to work more closely with parents. She ran a corporate daycare center on Wall Street and she started writing a book. And around that time, I'd sort of lost my passion for being a photographer. Traveling was becoming exhausting. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to kind of settle and have a little bit more of a stable routine kind of a life. And so I said to her, let me use all of the business knowledge that I have that I learned building a photography business and turn it towards you. Let's make you the star and I'll do all of the behind the scenes work. And as I started doing that with her, 
I actually realized that I had a voice to give to the book that she was writing. And when she would give parenting workshops and she would talk about the experience of raising two very different children, my older brother is a corporate attorney who always had this very straight, narrow path and was easygoing and, you know, never really <laughs> ruffled feathers. Um, and the experience of raising me, who always marched to my own drummer and never did what I was told to do. <laughs> parents, you know, naturally parents that are going to those kind of workshops have kids like me. You know, right. if you have an easygoing child, you're not really looking for parenting support. Right. And so parents were coming up to me after the workshops and saying, you sound just like my kid. Can I talk to you? And actually becoming a parent coach was driven by parents asking me for support and guidance. And this was about 12, 13 years ago. It was before I had even discovered the term highly sensitive person or highly mm -hmm. sensitive child. I always knew that there was something different about me, that I was more intense. I was more sensitive. I was, um, I always wondered, you know, what made me different, but I could never quite pinpoint it. And so when parents had children that were like me, it felt kind of reassuring. You know, I, I sort of understood what was going on for their kids and was able to, to get into the experience of these children and give the parents support and guidance to shift their behavior. And then some years later, I discovered Elaine Aaron's work, and she's sort of the, the grandmother of the movement of high sensitivity. And what I realized is that I am a highly sensitive person and that mm -hmm. I was coaching parents of highly sensitive children. And it all kind of clicked and came together. And it just made all of the challenges in my childhood seem um, not just worthwhile, but necessary for me to be able to do the work that I'm doing now, because I teach primarily from my own experience, of course, from research of others, research of my own, but I primarily teach from what I know about being that kind of child right. and help parents understand what's going on in the world of these children and why things feel so big for them and how to help them to manage their emotions so that they can find their, per their purpose and passion and then thrive as, mm -hmm. as growing adults. Now, when I think of a highly sensitive person, I either almost think of an empath or when I think of children, for some reason, I think of maybe on an autistic child. But can you define what highly sensitive person really means? Because yeah. for someone like you, I would never pinpoint you an empath, maybe, but I would never think of you on like a spectrum, you know, with autism or anything. I think your question's totally on point. In fact, my partner was just traveling this week and he, when I picked him up at the airport, he said to me, the woman next to me on the plane was an educator and she was asking me about what you did for work. And she was asking if highly sensitive children are autistic. And I wasn't sure what to say. I said, after all these years, you don't know what to say, really? Um, do you, you know, you know that I'm not autistic. So they are not the same. In fact, right. I often think about um, autism and high sensitivity. I, I mean, I think about all people as being on this human spectrum, right? right? But autism is sort of like way on the other end of the spectrum of high sensitivity. Sure. Um, generally, highly sensitive people are super aware of the external experience and their internal experience. Now, I am not an expert in autism, so I might upset people with my understanding of autism. This is just my understanding, sure. is that autistic people tend to be very aware of their inner experience but not as tuned in to the external experience of others. That's sort of like my general basic difference. As far as I know, I'm not autistic, so I can't get inside sure. of the experience. Sure. Um, highly sensitive people are not always empaths, but to the best of my knowledge, all empaths are highly sensitive, if mm, that makes sense. Interesting, yeah. yeah. 
Um, and whenever I talk about highly sensitive people or, or want to offer an insight into what goes on for them, I like to refer to Dr. Elaine Aaron's model of DOES, and I'll briefly run through it and then I'll, I'll share a little bit more with you if that's okay. Absolutely. So she identifies these four aspects that all highly sensitive people have using this acronym of DOES. So the D stands for depth of processing, meaning that as highly sensitive people and highly sensitive children, we are deep processors. Everything from um, deeply processing an experience or a conversation or a movie or um, an interaction and really picking it apart and wondering why did it happen? What was going on? What did that person mean? Why was I so affected by it? And it can work really well for us because as highly sensitive people, um, when we have an upsetting experience, when we process it, to understand what went on, it can be really soothing and really comforting. But some highly sensitive people, some people in general, tend to process in a more circular um, um, kind of, I like to think about it like circling the drain or getting on a merry-go-round kind of way where we just get stuck and we ruminate and we're mm -hmm. over and over and over again and we keep reprocessing, but we don't get anywhere. Sure. So that's another type of deep processing, but that doesn't work well for us. So sensitive people, we wanna be mindful. Are we ruminating in our processing or are we moving to a better feeling place or a more broad understanding in our yeah. process? The second aspect, the O stands for overstimulation, or I think Elaine Aaron uses the term overarousal. What that means is that as highly sensitive people, we're taking in a lot of information through our nervous system, through our sensory systems. And because of that, we can become more easily overstimulated or overaroused than non-highly sensitive people. So for a child, for example, um, let's say you take your children to Disneyland and halfway through the day, they are breaking down and you're thinking, what is going on? I spent all this money, we traveled, this is like the best day ever, what's your problem? Well, they've been around a million people, mm -hmm. there's a lot going on, their, their sensory systems, their auditory system, their visual system is just overwhelmed and rattled, there's smells, um, you know, there's lights flashing, they energetically can get overwhelmed really easily. And so, Overstimulation in a child usually looks like a tantrum. Overstimulation in an adult can look like a tantrum, mm -hmm. can look like an anxiety attack, a panic attack, a nervous breakdown. It's almost like our sensory systems, you know, if you think about a car overheating, it just shuts down. Mm -hmm. And that can happen to us too. So sensitive people do really well to learn how to regulate their stimulation levels. And when they've had too much, to go and take a break mm -hmm. and figure out what it is that you need to calm yourself down, to get grounded again, to come back into balance in your body. Because once we're overstimulated or overwhelmed, it's going to take us a lot longer to kind yeah. of get ourselves back together. Yeah. Sounds like what happens to me every time I go to Las Vegas. Yes. You know, <laughs> like I have a love hate with Las Vegas, great food, great shows, too much stimulation, to be yes, honest. Absolutely. After a couple of days, you just feel like you need to decompress. Yes, absolutely. I feel like that going to Costco. <laughs> right. <laughs> so true. So it happens to the best of us, right? So I like absolutely. that you say, yeah, you have to find time. Usually in somewhere like Vegas, it's just going back up to your room for a little bit. Yes. Going outside if you can, if you're there for business, you know, try to step out of the convention center, out of the casino okay. and just regroup. 
And, and um, I, you know, I've been to Vegas a lot for, you know, conferences and things like that and planning time away from the people that you're getting to know and meeting, getting fresh air, making sure that you're doing something that works for your particular nervous system. Mm -hmm. There's not a one size fits all answer here, right? Yeah. Um, and giving yourself time to process. So if you're at a trade show or a conference and you're meeting a lot of people and you're taking in a lot of information, make sure that you build in time to process all of the information and to kind of absorb everything that you've been learning and all the people that you've been meeting because otherwise it kind of bubbles up. Yeah. I once had a colleague explain it like highly sensitive people are like a bathtub that fills up quickly and drains slowly. Yeah. I like that. You know? That's a great yeah. analogy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this can apply. I know we're, you know, we're kind of talking and joking a little bit about Las Vegas, but this can apply in any situation. Oh, yeah. workload, corporate environments, offices, one-on-ones with clients, you know, for people who have clients who need a lot of attention. Yes. So I like what you're saying. Absolutely. Absolutely. Decompress. Even being home with your family, you know, right. being around other people. If you're um, a working parent, being home with your children is totally overstimulating. It's yeah. totally overwhelming. You know, that's why some parents like going grocery store shopping can be the de-stimulating event for them, you know, yeah. time in the car. Um, so one of my tips is always to take a couple of minutes before you walk in the door to your house or take a few minutes before you walk into Costco or when you come out of Costco and do a few deep breaths, do something to kind of get your frontal, your frontal lobe, your frontal brain back online. That's, that's where our, um, you know, our executive functioning, our ability to think rationally and calmly is all going on. And when we're overstimulated, that part of the brain is basically offline. Yeah. And so anything that we can do in the moment to bring ourselves back into our body, back into the front of our brain is going to be really, really helpful. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Great. So we've gone through the D and the O, the E stands for emotional saturation. The way that I like to explain it is as if non-highly sensitive people live in, um, if you've ever seen The Wizard of Oz, it's like they live in Kansas. It's like they live in a black and white and gray world. And highly sensitive people live in Oz yeah. where it's technicolor and glittery and neon. There's people dancing and singing. It's like our emotional ability is so much broader and more saturated and deeper and more expansive than non-highly sensitive people. Mm. So um, in somebody who is, you know, sometimes I say neurotypical, but really it's non-highly sensitive. Um, they might feel sadness as like their low emotion and joy as their higher emotion. A highly sensitive person feels despair and depression and um, hopelessness in, in the most saturated blue, whereas that non-highly sensitive person feels like a pale blue. Mm -hmm. And here's the, here's the upside is that while the non-highly sensitive person feels joy and let's say like a, a pale pink, the highly sensitive person feels exhilaration and elation and pure and utter bliss in magenta with sparkles and rainbows and because our ability to feel emotion is just broader. Yeah, it's a double-edged sword. And I think a lot of highly sensitive people end up turning to alcohol and drugs and food and shopping and all sorts of things outside of themselves, codependent relationships, because we get stuck in those uncomfortable feelings and we mm. don't know what to do with them. But the good news is that with the help of a coach or a therapist or friends or your own inner work, whatever it is that you do, 
you can actually find a way to spend most of your life in these really delicious, joyful, exuberant emotions. And the capacity that we have to feel them is so much more magnified than other people have. Yeah, such great analogies. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And so the S, the last piece of that, um, of Elaine Aaron's model stands for sensing the subtle. And what that means essentially is that highly sensitive people notice subtle details, whether it's things like, oh, did you get a haircut? Or, oh, I love that lip color on you. Or um, we might walk into a room, especially at, um, you know, like a business event and be really drawn to a certain person. Like, mm-hmm. I need to go talk to that person. Or I do not want to get involved over there. There's nothing in that corner that feels right to me. Um, I was working with a mom for several months when her eight, nine-year-old son had gone to dinner with her. And he said to her, I don't like the way that man in that corner is looking at me in this restaurant. And he had wanted to go to this restaurant. Now, a mom who hadn't been working with me may have said to her son, what's your problem? Just ignore him, just eat your dinner. But this mom, because we were working really hard on honoring her son's feelings said to him, if something about that man doesn't feel good to you, and you want to go, we're going to take our food to go. Oh, good. Yeah. And who knows what was up with that guy? Maybe her son was off. Maybe he wasn't off. But as sensitive people, we have the ability to feel things, to intuit things, to experience things on more subtle levels. Mm -hmm. And when we tune into them, not only does it work for us in our personal life, but it can totally work for us in our business life also. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's great. I like that because you're a, you're training the child to trust their instinct versus like suppressing the feeling. So hopefully, and again, you don't know what it was, but hopefully it's teaching them to listen to that inner voice regardless. Mm -hmm. And then I also think that it's a good reason for us. I think a lot of times what happens in a corporate environment or a business environment of any sort is we think because it's a business that not that it's okay for people to treat us badly, but we've all been in situations where we've had a client who is not so nice, yep. who might be yelling and screaming. And yet it's at that point, it is okay to just say, either I'm going to remove myself from the situation and you have to do it tactfully. Mm-hmm. And, or, you know, I know this individual has a lot of issues. I'm going to approach it a different way, or I'm not going to approach it at all. Absolutely. Right. So yes. I, I, it's almost like when you're in tune with this, you're giving yourself permission to just be kind to yourself, if absolutely. anything. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think a lot of highly sensitive people sense that something about them is off and they're not kind to themselves because right. they're different or something is wrong. And if you'll notice in this whole DOES model, we didn't talk about um, having a disorder, having something wrong with you, needing to go to therapy to fix who you are. What we talked about is about the way that somebody is experiencing life. And beyond that, it can look very different. So 70% of highly sensitive people are introverts, 30% are extroverts. I happen to be an extroverted, highly sensitive person, but because I'm highly sensitive, I do need that downtime and I do need time to recharge. And even though I love meeting people, I like meeting people on my terms. You know, I'm not this clean extrovert who's always out there wanting to network and chit chat. It's gotta be fulfilling. Hey everyone, did you ever wish you had a friend who was constantly supporting your dreams to make more money, pursue your passions, or live a more relaxed lifestyle? Well, here we are. Success, financial freedom, balance, whatever you want to create in your life, you can have it and we're sharing the tools to help you get there. That's right, because sometimes all it takes to achieve your goals is a tribe of people cheering you on and we're here to do just that for you. Yes, we are. When you join our tribe, every week you'll receive powerful tools to help you achieve financial freedom, 
create a better work-life balance, and pursue your dreams. For only $5.55 a month, you'll receive access to affirmations, mantras, guided meditations, EFT tapping sessions, articles, and tip sheets that all specifically focus on money and abundance, work-life balance, and passion and success. That's a whole lot of stuff. It is. If you visit inthelifeofzen.com to subscribe and join our tribe today. So there are nuances that come beyond this DOES model, but that's the basic of being a highly sensitive person. And when I share that model, it's amazing to me how many people say, you know what, maybe I'm highly sensitive. It's Mm -hmm. really possible. Mm -hmm. And when we look at the research, it's something like one in four people are highly sensitive. So it's almost a quarter of the planet. And if there are what, 8 billion people, it's like 2 billion people that are highly sensitive. So if you grow up in a family where all of these things are understood and honored and you're given the space to follow your intuition and you're not criticized when you get overstimulated and you're given tools to handle it, you're going to be a thriving HSP out in the world. Most people that are highly sensitive that don't feel good about who they are weren't understood in childhood. And so they grow up feeling bad about themselves and they do want to find tools and resources as adults in order to be able to thrive. But a lot of highly sensitive people are out there they're fully functional, they're super successful, because we actually have gifts and talents that come along with being highly sensitive that other people don't have access to because they don't have this unique blend of experience in the way that they're experiencing the world. So what do you tell individuals, professionals or entrepreneurs who are either starting a business or in a business? If, um, you know, what's, what are some of the most important qualities or things for them to focus on? Yeah. when they're kind of starting on this new path, if they are a highly sensitive person. So the, the thing that I always suggest, I do do some business coaching for highly sensitive people. Sometimes they just naturally gravitate towards me. I don't market that I do it, but I do often help people set up businesses. The number one thing that I suggest is make sure that your business schedule is going to work for you as a sensitive person. Mm-hmm. I mean, part of being an entrepreneur is that we get to create our own day-to-day experience. So mm-hmm. if you work with clients don't overschedule yourself. Personally, what I like to do is schedule at least half an hour in between a client. So I have time to stretch and move and get some water and breathe some fresh air and make sure that I'm refreshed for my next client. Whereas if I had them back to back to back, I would be super overstimulated by the end of the day. So scheduling your day, scheduling your week so that it's set up so that it works for you. I also personally have one day a week that is set up for my self-care. So going to the appointments that I need to go to, massage, yoga, acupuncture, all the things that help me to maintain my optimal performance, those are all things that help me to um, become less overstimulated, feel more regulated in my body. Um, The other thing is to make sure that you pick a career field that works for you, that's utilizing your strengths. You know, um, I meet a lot of highly sensitive people, especially that are you know, like in their teens or um, just freshly out of college who feel really passionate about things like social justice or the environment. And I wholeheartedly support those things. And I also believe that there is a way that as a sensitive person, we can contribute to the the betterment of the world without it being at our expense. So making sure that when you get involved in a career path, that you actually feel good about your work, that you're not going to work to be a martyr because that is going to eat away at you in the long term. And it's, it's going to leave you feeling absolutely burnt out, overstimulated, unproductive. 
ruminating and processing in a circle that's not going to leave you feeling good. So making sure that you pick a field where you feel good um, and that you can set up your day-to-day experience so that it actually works for you are two of the most important pieces here. Yeah, I really like what you're saying there. And I think for individuals who are in more the corporate settings where maybe they aren't responsible, like they're not a business owner or they aren't they aren't on their own, mm-hmm. there are things you can do because for a lot of people in corporate settings or business settings, you, you do like your job, but it can at times get overwhelming and it almost gets so overwhelming that you feel like you don't like your job. Mm-hmm. So be very cautious with things that you do. I like that you say scheduling block off hours in the day. You know, if you're an individual who's in back-to-back meetings, maybe your goal needs to be, you block off a couple hours of the day where there's no meetings. Yeah. Focus on self-care. If you can't take a day off to focus on self-care during the week, do it before work, do it after work, try to find time for you. And then be careful with things. This is something that, you know, I deal with in my position where, you know, we have emails and phone and text and Skype and Zoom, and there's constant distractions. What I like to suggest to my team is emails, turn off your notifications, only check emails once or twice a day, once in the morning, once in the afternoon. Your Zoom, if you're busy or working on a project, turn off your Zoom notifications, turn off your Skype chat notifications, whatever you need to do to be able to focus on the project. And I feel like that helps because otherwise what happens is at the end of the day, you get so overwhelmed and so frustrated that you either break down and cry, you start yelling at people, you say things you shouldn't be saying, (laughs) and there's repercussions to that, right? So if you're in an environment where, again, you're not a business owner, you don't work for yourself, there are still things you can do. Yes. And don't feel bad by doing them. You can always talk to a manager. Don't feel like your hands are tied and there's absolutely no options. Yeah. And I would even, I would add one more little piece on the end of that, which is um, personally, I don't respond to client emails after a certain time or on the weekends. There, There are times when I am unavailable even if I have a client who really, really needs me, I am modeling for them healthy boundaries. Right. You know? Absolutely. And so when you leave work, leave your work where it is. Don't take it home with you. That's, it is going to cause absolute overstimulation mm-hmm. if you give up the boundary between work and personal time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. It just, it, yeah, and this is something that I think for, overachievers, successful people, right? We all want to succeed. We all want to be there for our clients, but there's a very fine line. If you are not in taking care of yourself and in your best form, you won't be there in your best form for your clients. So you're doing them a favor in a sense, right? You got to take care of you so you can take care of them the best way possible. But we talk about this a lot on this, on the show, and it is setting healthy boundaries yes. and finding ways. And I like for you, what you're saying with highly sensitive people, I like starting young. Cause I almost feel like I evaluate my family dynamics and my siblings and similar to you and your brother, my brother and I were completely separate and you couldn't parent us the same way. And for individuals who might be highly sensitive if that is ignored, if it's not nourished, my fear is it can lead to other issues, right? Suddenly it develops into depression or bipolar disorder because they don't know how to manage those emotions. So wherever you are, especially if you're a parent or you're raising someone, pay attention to that because I do think, uh, and again, you know, this is my personal opinion. I do think it would have a positive impact if you start focusing and, and nourishing that sensitivity at a young age. 
You're 100% correct. A lot of the families that I work with have children that come to me that have been given a diagnosis of mm -hmm. what you said, depression, bipolar, anxiety, um, oppositional defiance disorder, ADHD. There are all sorts of things that can look like high sensitivity that's mm -hmm. not managed properly. And when a child is given a diagnosis, but what's really going on is they're highly sensitive and that's not being honored and nurtured, then this person now grows up with a secondary um, condition, you know, a secondary layer of what's wrong with me when nothing mm -hmm. is wrong with who they right. are. It's that they haven't been given the tools in order to thrive in the vehicle that they were born into. Absolutely. Yeah, it's so true. Now, I feel like you've given us a lot of great tips. And I know we talked about the, some of the qualities and things that uh, entrepreneurs or business owners can do. But if you had to give our listeners three takeaways, mm -hmm. what would it be? Three takeaways for um, business owners? or, yes, or if you can. Just yeah. anything when it comes to dealing with high sensitive people, it, yeah. whether it's starting their own business and or as they hone in on their qualities. Yeah. So I want to say that one of the gifts that highly sensitive people have is that we are big picture thinkers. We're able to see more than what's going on than what's right in front of us. So if you run a business and have a highly sensitive person in your, in your, um, on your team, let them share ideas. Let them look at what isn't working, at where the problems are happening, and see if they come up with some radical ideas. Mm -hmm. You know, usually we're out of the box thinkers and we're able to intuit or see things that other people can't see. That's one of the, the qualities that we have. Um, another thing is that highly sensitive people actually have lots of leadership qualities. You know, people tend to follow us because. We usually have good ideas. And even though we're not often the loudest person in the room, our ideas speak for themselves. Mm -hmm. So putting highly sensitive people into leadership roles will not just build their confidence, but it'll usually be a benefit to the whole team. Like that. Um, the other thing that comes to mind is that highly sensitive people care about other people. You know, they care about how other people feel. They care about... Um, how working in a place feels to others. So letting them be in, you know, involved in the way that we're setting up corporate atmosphere or team building events, or even the way that we design an office space, letting highly sensitive people share their suggestions about what works for them and letting that lead the way. Usually if it works for a highly sensitive person, it'll work for everybody. Mm -hmm. You know, changing the lighting to lamps instead of overheads, yes. um, you know, building in a 15 minute break after a meeting is over, um, you know, bringing in a really nice tea for everybody when they're sitting down to a meeting, um, maybe starting a meeting with an intention or a small ritual of, you know, three deep breaths, bring everybody into a present state. Yeah. These things might not occur to somebody who isn't highly sensitive and it might even seem a little bit off to them. Mm -hmm. But when we all embrace these ideas, you're going to see how it impacts the entire heard for 100%. lack of a better term. Yeah. yeah. And there's so many studies on that, right? The psychology of colors, the psychology of environments, um, the lighting huge, especially when most offices have kind of fluorescent lighting, which yes. could be the bad fluorescent lighting too. But there are so many studies that uh, show that the psychological impact of that on the success of an organization or the success of teams. Yeah. Now, one thing I just thought of for highly sensitive people, because they care so much for others, mm -hmm. do you ever find that it's harder for them as a business owner or in a leadership role to either discipline and or fire 
a staff member or make those difficult decisions because your emotions, I feel like would get in the way a little bit, right? Yeah. What an interesting question. You know, I've never thought about it before, but as I'm, as I'm thinking about it, what occurs to me is for a highly sensitive person that is really emotionally healthy, meaning having done their work and healed any woundedness that they have, it'd be really, really good. It'd be really good. Um, I was just having a conversation with a, a parent the other day. Now I've never had to fire anybody because I run a small business, but I was talking with a parent who was trying to get her child into a particular private school and was really concerned that the school wasn't going to honor her sensitive child and was going for the interview and all these things. What I said to the mom was, if they don't get who your child is, it's not the right school for mm -hmm. you, you know? And it was so soothing to her. I mean, in that way, I can imagine saying to somebody, if I had to relieve them of a position, this isn't the right role for you. Yeah. There is a role out there that is perfect for you where all of your skills are going to shine. And so I think if it's delivered in an, in an appropriate way, it would actually be really empowering for everybody involved. Yeah. Now, having said that, unfortunately, a lot of highly sensitive people were raised in environments that did not understand who they were or what they needed. And a lot of highly sensitive adults do find themselves in therapy, which is not a bad thing. Therapy is often stigmatized as oh, it means there's something wrong with you. Mm -hmm. Wrong. Therapy means that there's some woundedness that you want to heal. That's all. And actually going through therapy usually makes people into these really well-adjusted, thriving adults. So if somebody is in a position that, and they happen to be deeply wounded and they've learned that being codependent or not speaking their truth or not setting boundaries is what allows them to have relationships and let people like them it will be really hard for them to fire somebody. Right. So what this really comes down to is what I like to call emotional health or energetic health. You know, an energetically, um, energetically healthy, highly sensitive person is going to be a rock star in whatever position you put them in. Mm, how empowering. Yeah. You know? That's very empowering. Yeah. It makes you feel better because sometimes you would wonder, oh my gosh, how am I going to do it? Yeah. I feel so bad. So yes, focus on these things. Get to a point where you feel comfortable with the decision. And then, you know, you know, it's, it's not a personal thing. Usually some, yeah. I guess sometimes it could be, but just focus on kind of the facts and that you're doing everything right. And from a good place. Right. Absolutely. And, and the tact, how you present it is always key. Absolutely. I feel for, for your health, just as much as for the person who unfortunately is getting fired or disciplined or whatever the case may be. For sure. Yes. Yeah. So awesome. So Melissa, if individuals want to learn more about you, if they want to work with you, find you buy your books, where, where do they go? Yeah. So our business is called leading edge parenting. We, we like to think that we are on the leading edge of raising children. And so all of my information is there. You can reach out to me, you can find my social media and um, order any of my books there as well. Fantastic. And awesome. then we'd love to ask everyone at the end of our episodes, if you have a daily mantra or an affirmation or something you say to yourself, and if so, can you, would you be yeah. willing to share it with us? Yeah, I love that. So my personal mantra is things are always working out for me. Love it. And it goes back to the question that you just asked about firing somebody. If I really believe that everything in life is happening for my well-being and benefit, then getting fired from a position having a friend tell me that I upset them, um, even a little fender bender in a parking lot is all part of the path of things unfolding right on schedule for me, right in the way that it's supposed to. And I, as a sensitive person, I know that when I follow my intuition and I do what feels right in my body and my gut, that the next logical step keeps showing up and I don't have to over plan or over figure things out. 
I just trust that things are always working out for me. Thank you for listening to the Where Money Meets Soul podcast. We hope you're feeling inspired to take control of your finances, create balance, and live your best life. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave a review. And if you know anyone else who would benefit from this content, spread the love by taking a snapshot of this podcast, sharing on social media, and tagging In the Life of Zen. And stay tuned for more from In the Life of Zen. Visit us at inthelifeofzen.com and follow us on social media at In the Life of Zen.